<laughs> right. Because that's the risk that we have a little bit. Huh? So if we say 100% of the caps have... And NOLA does not work for a pharmaceutical and company, no, just saying, yeah. But, I mean, it is because veterinarians mm. want simple answers, so mm. they want simplicity, and simplicity is just put them all on. <laughs> Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. This is the perfect podcast. You pointed at me. I did because I'm I'm leading you into the you help? perfect flow. Yeah, it, it is. It okay. is. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. After five years. After five years, um, I flub more <laughs> intros than I get right, so it's a recurring theme on this podcast. Complaining about. Oh. Well, it is my. It's always my fault. Always it is my, always your fault. Uh, exactly. Sometimes he goes one, two, three. Hi, I'm Doctor Yola Crimson. What am I supposed to do? Just, <laughs> Is that and, possible? And anybody who's watching the video might notice that I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, you're in and out. <laughs> I'm only half there. But the most important part is when you go to a Patreon account, you see our guests. Yes. And they especially dress up for this. <laughs> I would encourage you to, to go and sign up for that account because then these guys will be able to afford a camera. <laughs> and a ring, you know, ring. ring, ring. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, you know how to do this. <laughs> a good background because this background is a little different. Too. But uh, you know, we had a cliffhanger uh, last week, which was that you told us that fifty percent of any cat in the world has pain in some kind of reason, chronic joint pain. And um, and my question was: so, as a veterinarian, what do I do? Do I Examine every cat on pain? Well, I'm not <laughs> as qualified to answer that question. Mm. Actually, we do like a, a team effort here. Ah. You doing the observation in the clinic. I can talk about what the owner should be looking for. Right. But yeah, as a veterinarian, I think you got to partner with your clients mm. really strongly in order to get information on cats because they do not show you their normal behaviors in the clinic. They yeah. just. That's a challenge. Don't. Yeah, that's a challenge, right? Yeah, these days it's it's easier. So you, you, uh, in my practices, we've reverted to um, send me some video of your cat. We've reverted and, to that. And we have a, a little slide that both of us okay. use, um, which illustrates the just that. Like that. Yes, right? just that. Yeah. So we were, we were set, Mark and I were mm -hmm. together, collaborating some research projects. We wanted to catch a video yeah. of cats jumping down. Mm -hmm. Margaret says, oh. cat. Perfect cat. Perfect. Yes. Actually, I had the best cat ever, but she claims she had the best cat. Well, this is a, this is different cat, different not cat. not the best cat, okay. but she's the best cat. Second for best this. cat. Yeah. Okay. okay. Why? Because she is highly food motivated oh, and yeah. just you know so very video. social. Yeah. Oh, sure, she was going to come in. So she shows me video of this cat in right. the home, right. and it jumps down, it jumps up, literally on command. Yeah. So we. We set up this room with cameras, and we, you know, we, we get them all lined up. We we hit go. We've got they're collecting data on these little mm. SD cards. Yeah. And the cat's on a table, and all we want to do is to jump down, put food yeah. in front of it, and for hours. I mean, for hours. Really hours yeah. It sits yeah. on the table, <laughs> and it looks around, flicking her lips. 
I mean, a wonderful demonstration. Right. In the <laughs> clinic, you do not yes. see behaviors. You, you see do the not. So and video, then she jumps down sideways. No. So video from the home environment. Yeah, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. And it's, it's great for us and it's a yeah. great educational opportunity absolutely. for us. Absolutely. And you know the ones we want, right? Jumping up. Absolutely. Jumping down, yeah. Do you have stairs, stairs in your house? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you evaluate that video. What are you looking for to find? In the videos? Mm -hmm. In the videos, you're looking for changes in how they do them. So the really characteristic ones are when they're jumping up, they won't jump up as fast or they scramble up with their back feet. So they don't clear the jump. Mm -hmm. Jumping down, they'll reach way down before they jump down. Right. And then on the stairs, we see a bunch of really interesting things where they lead with one paw, mm -hmm. they kind of go up mm -hmm. sideways or hug the side. They okay. take one step at a time, yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. 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 And then right. down, yeah. same. Yeah. And then also, and I think you, you talk about this wonderfully is when you look at that video you'll see telltale signs of issues like right. bedspreads that are oh, um, mm -hmm. yeah scratched up like they little some them yep yeah. in just a still picture you can see oh. cat looking up at the bed yeah. and all these poles on the yeah. bedspread where yeah. it's back claws the are scrambled up there. the evidence is there oh. yeah. so um what do you what do others say with you Point out to them what you've seen. I mean, I know what our owners say. A lot of, as I, you know, as I mentioned in the last episode, a lot of owners that I, I have worked with like that have noticed it, but they don't know what it means, right? So I'm assuming you get sort of that same reaction. Same right? feeling. And they usually are, yeah. are, you know, really motivated to do yeah. something when they find out that yeah. their cat, that those things mean that their cat has pain or mm -hmm. might have pain. So yeah. They don't want their cats to be in pain. They just have no idea that oh, was yeah. a sign of it. And I think that they're, they're, my experience is they're very open to this educational opportunity. Mm -hmm. you, right. talk, you literally just talk through the video, say, oh, I see, you, you know, you've moved a stool by the bed. Yeah, right. that's the other thing I've noticed. Yeah. Yes. yeah, 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 yeah. There's like a chair up by the windowsill. And, yeah. you know, like, so now I've learned to ask, has that chair always been there? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people are fundamentally interested in yeah. better understanding their sure. pets, particularly right. cats. And so... The educational opportunity there is very easy because you're just you're pointing out what you can see in the yeah. video. And often they all have already noticed it. They yeah. just don't know what yeah. it is. And those videos are so great for watching yeah. for aggression or yes. for yeah. you know how an intervention works. Yeah. So, so Duncan, you see the video, you know something is wrong. What do you do as a veterinarian then? So I think that allows you to open a conversation right. about painful painful joint disease. But do you I mean you're going to check the gout? Well, okay. So I think you know this is this is where, as a profession, we've got to figure out the best way into this. Right. So you need to open a conversation, and um, things like checklists are a great way of doing that. When owners are coming into the clinic, or you send checklists out to owners right. over social media, over yes. various platforms, and if there's any indication there might be joint pain, that allows you to open up a conversation. Then you right. capture video. You haven't seen the cat yet. Mm. Then you tran you you uh, ask the owner to bring in the cat, and that's I think where you need to pay particular attention. Mm -hmm. okay. Then you can look at like their hair coat and their body shape and mm -hmm. you know their muscle mass. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can observe just in the clinic before you even lay your hands on them right. to Good. examine their joints, right. which is part of it for sure. And we should talk about getting the cats into the clinic. Yes. yes, I mean, let me pick up on something that you yeah. said though, because I'll lose the idea. You mentioned having owners fill out like a checklist or a this questionnaire. Is, this is a problem at our age, Susan. 
if, if we don't talk about it immediately, the idea goes. Pardon me? Exactly. No, no. Yeah. yeah. The same. I have arthritis of the brain. <laughs> you've, you've caught on to me like, right there. Checklist before I totally forget. So a lesson I learned um, a long time ago about any questionnaire or any checklist yeah. that you give to clients, that's traditionally give it to them when the client's sitting in the exam room. Right. And they somebody gives you a clipboard and they say, here, yeah. fill it out, right? So this uh, dawned on me about nutrition checklists, right? Because you want the owner to like write down what kind of food they feed yeah. and how much they feed, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the checklists were cat food or it's dry food or I don't know how much or it's in a yellow yeah. bag. Or it has chicken in it. It has chicken <laughs> in it. Sorry, that's an in-joke. That's an in-joke. Yeah. And like, so I'm like, oh, I just give up on these things. And then it dawned on me, you're asking them at the wrong time. You need to ask them before they come in. Yeah. yeah so we switched all of our questionnaires to get out to the client before they mm. come in. And it's, it improves the information, it improves the rate, but not everybody does it, I get that, but it's better than it used to be. So yeah. I think it really applies to this too, right? Because when you're sitting in exam in the waiting room, it's a little hard for you to sit there and think, okay, like what does he look like when he jumps up and down, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead they're going, if the bet's not on time, I'm gonna miss the 6.30 pickup for my kids at soccer, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So do you have a, a favorite version of a checklist to send owners. And what I'm getting at is there's gotta be a balance between enough info to tip you off, but not like it's not too long. It's because people will quit easily, right? These days. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. we actually did, did some work. Margaret Levitt uh, did some work um, looking at actual data to determine what an appropriate bank of questions yes. were. And we came up with six, six questions, mm -hmm. six simple questions. questions. Yes, or, yes or yeah. no. Um, very simple questions, and uh, it works. What it, are the six questions? Yes or no? Oh, 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 oh I'm going to put you on the spot right Jumping now. up, jumping yeah. down, yeah. going upstairs, going down the yeah. stairs, running, and then chasing objects slash play. You did very good. We, we recorded a podcast um, earlier where we were talking with uh, somebody else about a new drug that's coming on the market and like what type of drug it is. And, and we use it, a drug used acronym for, and Yola goes, and what does that stand for? And the two of us are like, ah, <laughs> and we're both like on the spot. I don't know. <laughs> so between right. us, we got it together, right? right. So right. you're much better. <laughs> I think the younger mind is the key. Excellent. And then, it's, so the next step is then you're going to examine. And what yes. are some tips for veterinarians for that? So um, I, I guess I'm going to kick off by saying um, I would like to relegate the orthopedic examination of the cat mm -hmm. to being less important and the last thing that's done. Right. And I want to emphasize um, capturing information from the owner through video, through questionnaires, um, looking at videos and observation of these cats, mm -hmm. observation of the cats when they come in. Yeah. You should, by that point, have a really good idea yeah. of where the problem is, how yeah. much of a problem there is. The orthopedic examination should be there to confirm your right. suspicions and right. rule out right. other things. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's, that's the first point I want to make. Okay. And then um, that orthopedic evaluation has to be done using a cat-friendly approach, fear-free principles, mm -hmm. because you do not want to have that cat associate that mm -hmm. procedure, that mm -hmm. examination with, with something that is adverse. 
Yeah, and and uh, presumably you're examining like other parts of the cat too, like maybe it's yeah. just part of an annual visit or whatever. And you don't want to start with something that's going to be painful and aversive, right? right? So I think even uh, the sort of cat-friendly approach, even years ago when it started, relegated those anything that's uncomfortable you leave to the end, yeah. right? So it fits. I will, I'm curious what you think about this. I always think about the physical exam piece as you leave the, the painful pieces to the end, mm -hmm. right? You want to leave yeah. that to the mm -hmm. end. But when yeah. you're actually doing the joint exam, you kind of start to run out of kitty minutes. And so mm -hmm. I will do I'm the joint exactly with you. I will judge it by the cat, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, once you work with cats long enough, you get start to get a feel of like, how much time do I have with right. this cat? And I'll reprioritize yeah. it. And that's but, really good. But also... Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. But also, I think one thing to remember is um, every interaction with the cat should be gathering data. And so to think about compartmentalizing, that's a physical exam, then a move on to the orthopedic right. exam. Right. They're all yeah. meshed together. Yeah. Every right. time you put your hand on a cat, you're gathering information. Mm -hmm. As soon as you stroke it, you should be thinking, oh, how much muscle there is there? Absolutely. Bones, can I feel? absolutely. How does the cat react? Yep. The, you know, sensitive, excess sensitivity and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm now going to push the discussion completely on the other direction because we want to talk about the new drug that's there too. Um, if you know that 50% of the cats have joint pain, why don't you put them all on drugs? <laughs> right from the start. Because that's the risk that we have a little bit. Huh? So if we say 100% of the cats have And pain, NOLA does not work for a pharmaceutical company, just saying, yeah. But I mean, it is because... Veterinarians mm. want simple answers, so mm. they want simplicity, and simplicity is just put them all on. <laughs> He's well, staring at you. <laughs> for those of you not watching the video, <laughs> I will narrate. will narrate. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Here's what I would say is that if you don't have that conversation with the owner first, if you haven't seen the video evidence, if you don't have really good signs that there are, you know, clinical features that are changed right. in the cat then the owners aren't going to see a difference and then they're not going to continue. So even right. if you think that also it may be helping, it has to do partly right. with compliance, mm -hmm. I think. And But I do think the flip side of that is that if you have somebody kind of on the fence, when they try it and right. they see how effective it can be, it can push them toward more treatment. So right. I do, uh, you know, I think there's both, both yeah. sides of that, right. but I do think <laughs> if you use it when it's not indicated, then you won't, you'll lose compliance. Yeah, I think that's true. And it also puts a burden on the owner that they may not need to be uh, bearing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 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 So you know, I think about that uh, a lot, especially with cats whom you often have like limited opportunities to medicate most cats anyway, yeah. right? So yeah, I think the burden, right. the bur yeah, so it's the a burden. burden is financial. The burden is also it's more coming than, into the practice. Exactly. Yes. It's more than financial. Yes, exactly. yeah. So I think about that a lot. What's the burden for each? Can you talk about how to get the cat into the practice because it, uh, I it's love that topic. Important. So let's talk a little bit about, because we didn't have a lot of options for cats and payment. Mm. So there is, you know, um, people love the drugs that they used to have, but, you know, then they weren't talking about it, didn't help that much, blah, blah, blah. So what what is this new drug and why is this kind of a game changer? Oh, oh look at that. <laughs> For those of you watching, please <laughs> sign up and watch the video because you will see that I was pointing <laughs> to, to Margaret, yeah. Margaret here. Exactly. And the reason to point to Margaret is Margaret was the first person to use Frunivetmab, which is an anti-NGF monoclonal antibody right. in client-owned cats. And so I think that's quite an invention. 
That's quite a distinction then. Yeah. So why why did you have some enough confidence to give it a try? Like what about it spoke to you? Or was it just that we don't have very much anyway, so what do we have to lose? Well, it's a combination the of both things. Right? So and um I was working in Duncan's lab at the time. So it, mechanistically it seemed like a really interesting right. new novel target for treating pain in cats and multiple species, really. Mm -hmm. So um, it was, you know, an exciting option to try for cats, something that they didn't have to take yeah. away that, you know, might offer this new way of approaching pain. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and was this developed for human then first, or how did you get there your is, hands on yeah. the... Yeah, so the whole, I mean, if, if you think about the whole nerve growth factor track a signaling system, mm -hmm. I think firstly, there was the understanding that it's in a, it plays an important role in certain pain conditions, particularly right. arthritis. Right. So then the development programs start, um, and they started in, in humans developing therapies that interacted with, that, that interrupted that signaling system. And the most developed ap approach at the moment is the monoclonal antibody approach. So sequestration yeah. of... It's a very popular approach for a lot of things right, right, right now, right? right? Yeah. And then I think, you know, so that starts to to, to, to get going. Um, but then what happens is that um, uh, the ability to produce monoclonal antibodies that are species-specific, you know, in terms that so uh, technology advances, we can now right. do that in a more cost-effective way. Right. It opens the door to producing these monoclonal antibodies right. for right. particular species. Is there a human product on the market? There is not a human product on the market. Mm. No, no. Mm -hmm. So gone through, mm -hmm. and so yeah, this is something we should talk about. So, yeah. um, the human development programs advanced to um, a point. A, a point. Uh, there was a signal of increased rapidly progressing osteoarthritis in patients who took larger doses, given larger doses right. in the clinical studies, or who had anti-NTF monoclonal antibodies together with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, long-term okay. concurrent use. Wow. <laughs> and we don't yeah. see that. So, well. <laughs> so rapidly osteoarthritis is a very defined right. clinical condition in humans, right. is there in the population, um, it's mainly seen at the hip, mainly in older women. Um, but then the anti-NGF therapy increased the incidence of that, particularly when uh, given with long-term non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Now, that condition, RPOA, has never been described or recognized in mm -hmm. cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and it's not been seen in association with the mono anti-NGF monoclonal antibodies. Whoa, I just said the D word. I'll keep mental track. I shouldn't have pointed that. Yeah. <laughs> so, certainly that we actually don't know that much about what yes, a normal product yes, is, right? Yes, How yes, much did that change over time? Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's very true. So is there what do you think the future holds for starting? Because we're already I'm not expressing myself, but we already combined therapies. So it might be a joint diet. It might be a chondroprotective. We might add it an NSAID. So where do you think that the uh, the monoclonal antibody bit, like the Silencia, which is the first one, where do you think they would fit in that overall scheme? Like, do we fit them in there? Do we expect that um, more cats can be standalone with just that 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 treatment alone? Like how... And I might be asking you when you don't know, but I'm just interested in no, how you think I, it fits. No, I mean, I think I'll, 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 I'll give my opinion. I, I think 
the efficacy is so obvious mm. in so many cases mm. that your one is probably not going to be starting to think about add-on therapies as quickly as we have done in the past. Right? Okay. What do okay. you think? Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. But, you know, cats being cats, they don't read textbooks, right? And there's always, in any population, there's always that little group, right? So any contraindications for some of the other therapies we would use for joint disease that you know of with a you, product like Solencia? I don't think so. Yeah. No, there's none identified, so. there. I would say, so some of the adjunctive therapies are not that invasive. So, I mean, yes. changing the diet, right. you know, mm-hmm. is, is a logical thing that you could do. Um, and so it doesn't immediately mean that you have to give them steroids every day, for instance. So, so I think that there is differentiation between the adjunctive therapies that you could choose. But what I hear from you right now is... You probably would start with this one first, then, or would you start I, with? I would. I consider this as a first-line therapy, right? And then, if you look at the buffet of other options, right. everything I think is compatible right. with this therapy. Should you want to add it on, mm-hmm. right? With that question mark around the non-steroid anti-inflammatories, right? The other thing it's really compatible with are all the environmental modifications, yeah. right? Right. And we never talk about those enough. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Do you, um, I saw, so going forward, if things continue as positively as they are, at least I can hope that I will have less patients that I have to worry about the need on NSAIDs. And it's not that I have anything against NSAIDs, but as cats age and they start to get kidney problems, I mean, there does come a point where you're starting to feel uncomfortable, right? So yeah, I, I, I honestly, I think that feeling of discomfort is overinflated. Oh, I totally agree. Well, no, with the you. feelings, not, the feelings there. Yeah, is real. yeah. I think the, the worry cons- is over. The I, is over I agree with you. Yes. I agree with you. But, but I think there's yes. still a line, yes. yeah. right? Whether it's the right line or too early or whatever it is, there's a yeah. line. Right? People have a line. Sure. So, you know, this might make it possible to um, have less older kitties on on uh, drugs that make vets nervous. I think. You know, on the, on the on the flip side, it means we've got more cats who have access to effective pain control, right? Wow, and look at yeah. not based on oral administration, which is oh, a burden, right? Right. So right. You and know that they're that. getting it when they right. come in. Yeah. And right. Right. Yeah, right. that's pretty and amazing. So you have to inject them. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Any side effects? There are no side effects. Um, that were different between the placebo-treated cats and the anti-NGF-treated cats in the right. clinical studies, okay. except for little areas of alopecia, oh, eczema, so. dermatitis, particularly around the head and neck. Right. Yeah. And why is that? Well, that's a really good question, <laughs> So, um, you know, we think of cat skin as being all over the body, but right. um, with respect to anti-NGF therapy, right. there's something different about the head and neck area. Right. And... Um, we could get into the potential science of it. I mean, the the head is primarily served on a sensory basis by the trigeminal nerve yeah. and therefore goes through the trigeminal ganglion. And yeah. that number ganglion, five. yeah, number five, that's right. Yeah. 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 I know because that's where herpes files, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the molecular um, cellular anatomy of that ganglion is different to the dorsal ganglion. So there may be something ah. fundamentally different about the biology of the head and neck sensory system. That's fascinating. But regardless, um, hmm. you see these little areas of eczema, yeah. hair loss, yeah. 
Um, so it was a small price to pay. Well, I think the important thing to remember is what, we shouldn't dismiss those side right. effects, but they didn't appear to adversely right. affect the Did cats. they persist? So in about a third of the cases, they resolved spontaneously. Right. Two thirds of cases on the, on the, in the clinical trials had you know, standard topical right. um, antibiotic or anti-inflammatory treatment or systemic antibiotics and resolved. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not something that, it's we, not something that, that you would persists, worry about no. that persists or is going to worsen. And it doesn't. Oh, okay. And if it happens after one injection, it doesn't seem to oh, be more likely to happen yeah, yeah. after a second injection. Oh, that's really and good to know. It's a monthly. Monthly. That's that's the approval monthly injection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always and and this is my surgical oncology background again. Um, injections and caps. There's always what's called ah, okay. there, and obviously a monthly. It's not a long acting. <laughs> blah blah. But uh, do you advise to inject in different spots, or are you always using the same spot, or are, are you at, at all worried about? I am not at all worried about mm. it. And I, like you, having a background in surgical right. oncology, right. done my fair share of right. microsarcoma resections right. 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 Um, and certainly wouldn't want to subject a cat to any risk of right. that. Right. Um, there are no injection site reactions, as in areas of inflammation or reactions right. in the tissue. Yeah, no, no, nothing following this injection. Mm -hmm. A few cats will squeak a little bit on injection, okay. vocalize. Um, but no injection site reactions. And yeah. so I have no concerns right. about those side effects, mm -hmm. the you know, injection site associated with Yeah, exactly. So there, there, there's no inflammatory response that no. could be associated yeah. with that. That's, really, that's really good to bring up um, your question about where to inject it. So if you're following sort of um, North American kind of protocol about what goes where, anything non-vaccine goes right Right, yeah. Left front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm the one who takes my son. Who takes my son into the doctor and goes, his left front paw hurts, you know. <laughs> right. And I can't tell right from left. So left front mm -hmm. people, left front. If you're following that um mm -hmm. that type of procedure. So is um so the first one on the market, as we mentioned, is is Silencia. Is it available in other countries or is it, it is? And has it been available in other countries before us? Yeah. Ah, so they're before us. Okay, so that's an opportunity to look at the field experience. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's really a lot cool. of people waiting for this. American North America, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So because they have heard about the experiences in Europe, I guess. That, uh, okay. That they were very excited about when it was officially approved or partially approved. Or what kind of approval did they have? Is it fully approved? It's full approval. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Full so, FDA approval. So has data been generated out of Europe, for example, from their longer history of looking at it? That yeah. yeah. So there are um, a lot of data have been generated and are currently being collated nice. and and looked at. Yeah. That's very nice. Very nice. And so you know, in a way. Um, it's a bit of an exciting time in, in feline medicine because a bunch of things are kind of coming together. And that doesn't often happen for cats. So we have a new oral mm -hmm. diabetes drug. You know, we've got new chronic pain options. Okay. Um, so I wanted to ask you about um, uh, Grimace Scales. And um, I know there's at least one app, isn't there, that mm -hmm. reads? Yeah. So I wanted kind of your take on, on that and how, how do you feel like that fits into the overall picture of trying to recognize pain in cats. Well, we've actually been talking about that because we, you know, we don't think about, so the grimace scale is based on, you know, facial 
action units that change in response to painful stimuli or pain. That's acute pain, isn't it? Acute pain, yeah, right. right. So it's acute pain. Yeah. So we've been talking about that because you don't usually think about it in the chronic yes. pain setting. But yeah. could you look at it while yeah. doing an orthopedic yeah. exam, for yeah. example, right. or yeah. palpating muscles if yeah. muscles are sore? So I think it may really have a place. Yeah. The interesting that. thing, though, is once again, the cat is in your you know, office or wherever, doesn't do exactly what the right. normally does. So. Uh, it would be really nice if you could, in the Internet of Things, that you could have your camera look at the cat and then start flashing, hey. Right. Yeah. 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 While they're going down the stairs. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that, that, is, that is absolutely the future. Right. Yeah. And so, Palacicao is And his group. Um, oh, Palo, uh, yes. Yes, you know, they've, they've yes. developed the website yes. and the app that they put in front of, yes. they're put in the hands mm -hmm. of owners. But yeah. the next stage is to apply AIML, so yeah. artificial intelligence, machine learning to that. There's yeah. a group uh, in Canada, Calgary, I think. Calgary, yeah. And then also there's a Japanese group who have done that. Oh. And the future is, you know, having AIML yeah. applied to images, yeah. to videos. Yeah. Videos, yeah. And to give you a readout, yeah. you know, definitely okay. Entirely definitely doable. Not okay. Or well, my ring camera is telling me my cat is in pain That's right, right now because these well, stairs. They're so common now. They're, they, the doorbell cameras or, mm -hmm. you know, cameras within your house because, you know, you no longer need a company to install them. You just, you know, order them off of Amazon yeah. or wherever and like stick it on your wall and you're good yeah. to go. Right. Yeah. Um, so they're they're everywhere. Um, they're everywhere anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'll digress a little bit. What one of the things that got me through the the. Um, uh, the pandemic was listening to murder mystery podcasts. Oh, I, I adore a good murder mystery yeah. podcast. So one tip I've learned, if you're planning a murder, yeah, yeah check and see which of your neighbors have ring doorbell right. cameras. Make sure you avoid the <laughs> yes. backyards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to have tarp, yes. whatever, the four points so that you should buy. If you need a tarp, duct tape. <laughs> A hacksaw and a shovel by them on separate days. Yes. Okay. Be much worse. This yeah. is great advice. But before we end, because we're almost at the end, of the call, we need to talk about how you can get that. Cat. Yeah, let's. That's a good place to finish because that's really the beginning of everything. Right. Yeah. Yes. So you know we. A lot of it has to do with just thinking about the entire vet experience as we started talking about it at the mm -hmm. beginning, that it's not just, you know, getting in the carrier, which is what we used to focus so much on, that it's even thinking about what's the type of carrier that you're asking your clients to use. So you want right. to make it so that you're setting yourselves and the cats up for success. So yes, carrier training remains a really important part of it. Carriers shouldn't come out just when you're coming to yeah. the vet. Mm -hmm. Carriers need to be out and cats need to be used to using them. But then thinking about how we get, you know, how we make it so that owners believe that the experience for the cat isn't that stressful, right? right. We know from some research that it's not just the travel that they think is stressful. They think the vet visit is, or the vet experience is stressful for their mm -hmm. cats. And they're, and they're not wrong. So right. what are the tiny ways that we can make changes that, improve the overall experience for the cat. And I always tell people each of these things is really little and it sounds simple and small, but actually they add up to be something really big. You know, just getting the cat straight from the car into an exam room lessens the stress for the right. cat. How do you feel about the trend to giving gabapentin to cats before they come into the clinic? I mean, I mean, not just in terms of easing the yeah. clinic, but now we're talking about um, assessing pain and, and you know, knowing that we're not always going to put as much emphasis on on the physical exam, we're not going to do a 
but it still begs the question a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Or it does for me anyway. We, we tend to err on the side of, you know, if you give gabapentin, it's not going to make it less likely for you to see the pain. It might even make it more likely that you'll see normal behavior and normal responses. Okay. So I think we, you know, even though gabapentin may have this pain relieving. I'm going to go further and say gabapentin, <laughs> a single dose, is not going to have analgesic effects that will interfere with your ability to, to detect pain on examination of a cat. Let's be clear So, so I like that you said that, and I want to push you a little further. Okay. Do you think there is a, uh, a an, ex, an an effective pain relieving um, effect from gabapentin with doses over time, with more doses? So, is there a point where it is clinically relevant? So as a standalone, I say. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yes, you brought me down there at the end. I know. So I think we really, at the moment, need to see gabapentin as an adjunct. I agree. Mm. Um, and I have used it for many, many years clinically, yeah. uh, particularly after observing that cats appear to go into almost a neuropathic like, yeah, pain yeah, state yeah, quite yeah. quickly. Quite quickly. And yeah. quicker than the other four-legged animals yeah, that we I agree. often talk I agree. about. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, so I've used it clinically. Um, I do think it it is useful in the right cases as an adjunct. Um, now, recently, maybe a couple of years ago, some nice clinical data came out, which actually gave some mixed messages. Um, in that study, the owners thought they saw a positive effect, but using uh, activity monitors, the cats moved around less. Yeah. So this they were maybe happens. more sedate. Yes. So I think that so yes, that to me hard. is 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 conflicting as I'm not sure how to interpret that. Um I think the overall message is it I think I still think it can be a benefit in the right cases as an adjunct and add-on. I think it's inappropriate to rely on it as a standalone. Good. I I'm because that's that's kind of where I feel, but I I feel much better that you say that too. And the reason I brought it up was because um so so let's see and any other. Um, monoclonal antibody like that comes out um, helps a lot of those cats because vets have cats where they can't give any NSA to, they can't mm -hmm. do anything, they can't change its food, right? And so at the moment, a lot of those cats are just on gabapentin, yeah. right? Because that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. So to me, that's a very nice opportunity to replace a drug that we don't have ev enough evidence it's good standalone and move to something with with good evidence behind it. Yeah. So great yeah. with that, because we're like I said at the end ah. of the podcast, and Susan was asking a lot of questions. I, I, I just wanted to point out that for me, one of the reasons that cat owners do not bring in their cats to the vet, also because they don't recognize the vaccination. Mm -hmm. And so I think the vets have a really big responsibility as mm -hmm. because we know now that a hundred percent above 10 years. 50% in general of cats will have pain mm -hmm. and and bring the cat or at least talking with your vet, showing the videos and so this is a really important part. Because I, 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 you know, I feel for the owner too, because these are slow changing right. signs. Yeah. So you might have always picked them up. Right. It's like watching your children grow. Right. Like every day you don't see it and then you look yeah. back at a picture. Yeah. Watching yourself grow older and you don't see yeah. it and then you look back at a picture. Yeah. <laughs> but I think as a profession, we need to do a much better job of reaching out to owners right. and educating owners proactively 
We right. can't be yeah. waiting for owners to come to yeah. us. Yeah. Right. But yeah. really engaging with them, right? Engage, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, making it really clear the team. Yeah. Uh, okay, there we go. Yes, that's great. So this is wonderful. Uh, two excellent episodes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, no, I'm not doing it. Okay, this is the Per Podcast, and you can find more information on perpodcast.net. We have a handle, social media handle at Per Podcast, and uh, we will as soon as Dr. Susan. Gets our little behind in getting the website uh, up to date. We'll put also some show notes. Yes, I'll, I'll link some of the uh, resources we've been talking oh. about into the show notes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, you too. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're very welcome. Yes, enjoyed it. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary crack signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at perpodcast.